going on everybody it is jason jaber goldstein here for another episode of the bird's eye view that's right we're back to the old introduction i want to thank college basketball for giving us a hell of a season a really fun march madness because it gave me a lot of great content to talk about over the past few weeks but now baseball season's back the nba's in the stretch run the NFL draft is just 17 days away at the time of recording this, so we have plenty to talk about all professional sports today. Let's start diving into it by talking about my beloved New York Yankees. Now, if you guys remember, I started this podcast mostly inspired by the Yankees, had to get my thoughts out during the 2020 baseball season, and it was either me you know, being very happy, very excited about the Yankees, or just being Mr. Negative. Uh, right now there's been a, been a bit of a mix of things, so, I mean, the pitching has been great, which is weird to say that the pitching's been great and the offense has been awful for the Yankees because past few years it's been the opposite. I mean, Garrett Cole, a 2 the pitching staff has a 2-9-3 ERA, and Garrett Cole has 21 strikeouts in his first two games. I mean, he was locked in against the Orioles last week, mowing them down. 13 strikeouts. I mean, they all just looked absolutely lost at the plate. And yes, it was just the Orioles, so I get it. It might not be as impressive as if it was against maybe an Astros or against the Dodgers, but it was still a hell performance from him. And even so, Jordan Montgomery and Tyone, although they've been a bit shaky in some of their starts, for the most part, they've shown decently good stuff. And the bullpen has been fantastic despite the injuries. Jonathan Lewisica, you guys know, I was very, very high on Lewisica coming into this season. I knew he had the stuff. I just, uh, he, he just had to get his command down. He seems to have his command down. He's locating the strike zone excellent so far. He's really seemed to find a weapon with that changeup. And I think that he's going to be a major weapon out of the pen all year as long as he can stay healthy. Uh, once again, Chad Green has just been Mr. Reliable out of the bullpen. I mean, I love Chad Green. He's always a guy that gives me confidence whenever he comes in the games. Darren O'Day has been a good signing so far. And although his age does give me concerns, he's been good in his relief appearances. Although he hasn't come out of the pen much, Mike King even. Uh, I was at that game against the Blue Jays on sun last Sunday when they lost and just played awful and it was miserable because they just couldn't hit the ball. Mike King came in after Domingo Herman. More on him in a bit. Had an awful start, and King came in and delivered six shutout innings out of the bullpen. Just another young arm. And Nick Nelson, much like Lewisica, his changeup has been fantastic as well, and he's shown great stuff out of the bullpen. He struggled a bit on Friday versus the Rays, but even so, it wasn't really his fault. I mean, once the Yankees were behind by a lot of runs, Boone kind of just left Nelson in, and a lot of those runs just came from him being tired. Uh... But now we're going to move on to the negatives. I mean, like I said, the offense has been downright awful. They're leaving runners on base almost every single game. I mean, if someone gets on base, uh, the Yankees either do one of either two things, strike out or ground into a double play. I mean, it's insane the amount of double plays this team has grounded into it. The base is loaded. Outside of Stanton's grand slam with the base is loaded, I don't think this team has even gotten a hit with that in that situation. It's been awful so far, and 
it's frustrating to watch, especially when the last few years this team has been predicated and predicated on its offense. Right now, outside of DJ LeMayhew, no one's delivering timely hits, including Aaron Hicks, who's a guy that I'm a big fan of. But really, right now, nobody's hitting. Oh, and Gary Sanchez as well. But, I mean, that game against the Orioles last Wednesday, yeah, it was last Wednesday, frustrating as hell. Well, first off, I go out to a bar to watch that game, and it's this bar they have booths outside. Each booth has its own TV. So I'm like, oh, my God, this is an awesome setup. They use Hulu Live TV, which doesn't carry Yes Network, so we have to stream the game on our phone. Eventually, we sit inside of the table. They have the game on. But we out, you know, the Yankees, 13 hits. The Orioles, four hits. Guess who won? The Orioles. Three runs on those 13 hits for the Yankees. 12 men left on base. And just, I'm watching every inning. I see Yankees are threatening. Yankees are threatening. And they just leave runners stranded. Or just ground a double play and the inning's over like that. And bad base running mistakes too. That was awful. Glaber Torres too in that game made a really poor throw. That ended up costing the Yankees big. Allowed the Orioles to score an unearned run. Yankees tied again in the bottom of the 10th, but were never able to answer after that. And then the weekend against the Rays, they had a four-run third inning, and after that, lifeless the rest of the game. A Saturday's game against the Rays, zero, zero runs zero runs for the team against Chris Archer, who last two years for the Pirates has sucked, but somehow Chris Archer can always be the best pitcher in baseball when he goes up against the Yankees. That guy's always had our number, I swear. Uh, and even Sunday, uh, we got the win Sunday, but I'm watching this game and there's so much frustration. DJ LeMayhew grounded into a double play that was very, very, very critical at that time. Yeah, we ended up winning, but at that time, that double play was not what we needed. Aaron Hicks, instead of working a walk like he usually does, he grounded into a big double play in that game. And some of the Yankees were just going to lose. They ended up leaving nine men on base that game. Uh, they came alive in the 10th inning. And they ended up winning the game 8-4. But other than that 10th inning, game was really frustrating to watch. Uh, especially uh, in the top of the ninth, DJ LeMahieu didn't ground to a double play. But we had runners on second and third after Talkman did a sack bunt. And DJ LeMahieu just grounded a third. We get thrown out at home. Brett Gardner makes a dumb base running mistake later on. And somehow we just end up almost losing that game. The Yankees win. And it's been frustrating, not to say the least. It's only nine games, so I'm not going to say, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But the offense has been very concerning. And we've seen this happen in the postseason where the offense goes cold. And it's not going to be this cold over 162 games. If, if you think that's going to happen, you just don't know baseball. But, you know, the, Yan if the, Yan the Yankees' offense, we've seen this happen in the postseason when you're going up against the best of the best, the Justin Verlanders, although he's supposed to be out for the year, but... If we go against the White Sox, Lucas Giolito, uh, Kenta Maeda, uh, whoever we might go against in the postseason, if they have that nasty strikeout stuff that gets the Yankees all, every time, this team might not make it out of the American League, sad to say. But I do want to, you know, shout out some players and talk about them. Gary Sanchez, he's had a great start to the year. He's really seen the ball well. The last few years, he was kind of just mash home runs, uh talk about him later if he was matching home runs it was fine but he's ripping singles he's ripping doubles and he's you know hitting for average he's showing a lot more patience at the plate yeah I've seen him chase uh pitches out of the zone 
but he's chasing not nearly as much as he did last season. He's taking a lot of he's taken some called strikes, but he's also been working walks. I'm very impressed with the way Gary Sanchez has hit this year. And you know, after last year, every Yankee fan was ready to turn on Gary Sanchez. He's been the best hitter on the team this year. It's again, it's only nine games, but this nine game stretch, Gary's definitely been our best hitter. Uh, Glaber Torres. People were getting on Glaber Torres too hard for his defense, and he's still really young. He definitely needs to be better on defense. There's no doubt about it. He makes some really bad plays, but I love Glaber. He's a young kid, has a ton of potential on offense, and again, even at people say, "Oh, shift him over to second base." He wasn't too great at second base, if we're being honest. When he was at second either, I thought he was gonna be better at short. He just he needs to work on fielding those grounders sometimes. That's really it. Uh, for as much as I love Glaber, anytime the ball gets hit to him, I'm nervous, and I get scared anytime he throws the ball to Jay Bruce. I hold my breath. Speaking of Jay Bruce, oh boy, do I have a story for you guys. So I'm uh, on Saturday. I'm doing whatever you know. I'm out having a good time. And I see a tweet about, you know, Jay Bruce. I think he was out of the lineup or something. I don't, I don't remember what the tweet was about Jay Bruce, to be honest. But I said, we should euthanize him. And then I got my Twitter banned. So, or not banned, reported. And suspended for 12 hours. And I'm convinced that it was Jay Bruce who reported me. I mean, no Yankee fan is going to report me for talking shit about Jay Bruce. That dude stinks. And in fact, I'm going to have to go around on him in a minute once I finish this story. So then I DM him on Instagram saying, yo, you're really going to report my Twitter? And to be honest, this might not have even been him who uh, DM'd on my Instagram. He had 777 followers. But basically, I just told him he should retire and stick the shuffleboard. But Jay Bruce is absolutely terrible. I, I, there, there's no way he's only 33 years old because he looks like he's 90 years old. He's a goddamn dinosaur. And he is terrible. He cannot defend. I don't know why he's playing, why he's trying out first base. You've been playing right field for 14 years. Why are you all of a sudden playing first base, Jay Bruce? You just look lost at the plate. You just pop everything up. I'm, I'm pretty sure your one big hit with the Yankees was a bloop single. Nothing special. You are terrible, Jay Bruce. You're old. You're washed up. Retire, please. You're a waste of space on this roster. No Yankee fan wants you on this team. Please, Yankees. Designate him for assignment. Send him elsewhere. Get Jay Bruce off this goddamn team. Ugh, I had to, had to go on that Jay Bruce rant. Speaking of guys off the team, see ya Domingo Herman. See ya Tyler Wade. I promise no one's going to miss either of you. You know, I said it before the year. I did not really want Herman back on this team. If he had a good year, great. I'd be thrilled if he had a great year. But no one was rooting for him. The guy's a scumbag. No one, I promise you, no one was pulling for Domingo Herman to do well this year. If he did, great. It's another good starter for us, a guy who's having a good year for us. But he was going to be on a very, very short leash in this regular season, much like I said. Two bad starts, and they've already sent him back down to the alternate site. Simple as that, Domingo. You fucked up. What you did to your, what you did to your wife or girlfriend, that was horrible. You had to really come here, and the only way you were actually going to earn some respect from the fan base was by performing. And again, I, I'm, no one, I'm not going to miss you. No one's going to miss you. And also, see ya, Tyler Wade. That dude stinks. I don't know how the hell Tyler Wade was on this team for as long as he was. I mean, he was 
awful career career under the Mendoza line. Could not hit for power. Was was a fine defender, but I'll tell you what. You watch that game Friday against the Rays. He looked like he was playing second base for the first time in his life. I'm so glad Tyler Wade's off this team because I promise you, much like if Jay Bruce was off this team, no fan is going to miss Tyler Wade. He also stinks. So we, we got rid of Wade. We got rid of Herman. Now let's get rid of goddamn Jay Bruce because the two guys I hate on the team are off. Just get the third guy. Uh, the last guy I want to talk about, Aaron Judge. People, stop hitting on Aaron Judge. He's honestly not. He's getting on base a ton. He's hitting the ball well. Has the two home runs. And yeah, it sucked that he missed those couple games with the side thing. It was it was very weird with the Yankees. First, he misses the last three spring games. They say it was nothing. He was just feeling a little under the weather. Nothing with COVID. Just getting over a cold. Then he's coming out of games early. And, you know, you do that in an eight-run game, fine. But he's... Coming out of four-run games early, he was DHing in just the third game of the year. And then finally, he sits back-to-back -back games. They say it's a side thing, and you hear a side thing there and judge. You're like, oh, no. There he goes on the IL for another two months. But, you know, he came back, and he played pretty well yesterday against the Rays. So that was good to see. But everyone's just hitting on him. He's, he, had the, he had the bad double play opening day. And he's had some, and he has had a fair share of strikeouts to start the year, but you know when Aaron Judge strikes out, it's oh, Aaron Judge is terrible. When uh, he gets a double, it's nothing. Uh, that's really it about the Yankees. So now we're gonna start off with the first week. Who is hot and who is not? Uh, starting off with who is hot, uh, we're gonna pick up and talk about the Dodgers. You know the defending champions are picking up right where they left off. Uh, they lost the opener, so that means they've won eight out of nine games now, and they're first in on they're first in OBP, they're second in batting average, they're third in total runs, and they're seventh in team ERA. I mean, the Dodgers right now, from top to bottom, are just a loaded team. There's a reason they won the World Series last year, and it's what I said that la I said had there been a full season last year, that Dodgers team from last season would have went down as one of the greatest teams of all time. And there's a very good chance they can do it this year, especially given the way they've started, if they can keep good health, because this team is unbelievably talented. We're going to stick in the NL West with their Padres. On uh, who is hot? No Fernando Tatis? No problem. The Padres are 7-3, and three, and they just had the first no-hitter in the history of their franchise, courtesy the Joe Musgrove, the first no-hitter of this young season. And Joe Musgrove... They give up a decent amount to get him. The Padres got a solid haul, already worth that trade. I mean, in a second career, in a second start with the Padres, a throw a no hitter, that's really impressive. And it's the first one for this franchise to really excite this fan base. It's just the Padres have so much to be excited about right now, and and that's and that adds to the excitement. That no hitter. This team, they have a 1.78 ERA, which currently leads the league. And remember, they made moves for you, Darish Blake Snell, along with Musgrove. So far, the spending spree is paying off. The offense has been, despite no Tatis, the offense has still been producing. Hosmer, Machado, Cronesworth, Will Myers are all off the strong start to the plate. And the NOS is going to be fun. I know I just said the Dodgers, this Dodgers team has the talent to go down as one of the greatest of all time. But... The Padres are not going to back down from this team. The NL West is going to be a dogfight between the two of them all year, especially when Tatis is back. I cannot wait for some Dodgers versus Padres in the regular season. 
And uh, this kills me to say, but the third team that's hot, the Boston Red Sox. You know, they got swept at home in their first series against the Orioles, and everyone laughed at them. Everybody was ready to put their Red Sox in the basement cellar. And then what they do? They sweep the Rays, who took two out of three from the Yankees, and they play the Orioles in Baltimore and sweep them there. Uh, I mean, J.D. Martinez, people were thinking, is he washed up after what ha- after his rough year last year? He's been mashing. He hit three home runs yesterday. He's tied for the league lead with five in the early part of the season. And how about the bullpen? Now, the bullpen is not great by any means. It's not an elite bullpen. But it's at the top half of the league in terms of ERA, batting average against, and some other categories. And for this Red Sox team where the bullpen has been their Achilles heel since they won the World Series, it's good for them. Uh, in the non-hawk category, the Oakland A's. And they've been easily the worst team in baseball. Uh, they're 3-7. and seven. They have a minus 32 run differential, which is the lowest in baseball by seven runs. They're, they're hitting 189, which is actually second to last in the MLB. But other than that, they are last in a ton of major categories. Uh, they're last in slugging percentage on offense. And then for pitching, they're last in ERA. They're last in batting average against. They're last in whip. It's been a disaster for this team in their first 10 games. And I'll give them to their credit. They won three of the last four after starting 0-6. But, you know, their stars of the team, Matt Chapman and Matt Olsen, neither of them is off to a particularly good start. And you know with Olsen, you're not going to get the average. Uh, you might get the, you'll, you'll get a decent OBP. You'll get the home runs. But it's been a really, really rough start for him at the plate. And I'm going to say, go and say the Rockies, another team I'm talking about from the NL West. Uh, they were 3-4 and four entering the weekend, but they got swept by the Giants, and the offense produced just four total runs in that series. Uh, so that was, that was on the offense, which hasn't been that bad because when you play in Coors Field with the elevation, it's always going to be better. But it's their pitching staff that's doing them in again, much like it always does. And I'm going to say the last team... The last team in the non-hall category is the Washington Nationals. Uh, they, they get off the delayed start to the season due to some positive COVID tests. Win on opening day. But since then, they've lost five in a row, and three of those games have been shutouts. Uh, I mean, the pitching staff has been fine. Scherzer's looked good. Strasburg looked good in his first start. But the offense has been atrocious. I mean, three shutouts in six games, that's, that's really bad. You, you know Soto's going to produce. You know Trey Turner's going to produce. The question is for them, who else is going to produce outside of these guys? And it could be another year of that. We're, we're used to these slow starts with the Nationals. They started slow in 2019 when they won the World Series. They started slow last year before having a solid end of the year. But I just really don't know who else is going to produce on this offense outside of those two guys. Zimmerman, Zimmerman and Castro are off to fine starts average-wise, but... They're not coming up with timely hits because, you know, they're actually towards the top. They're fifth in batting average. They're 12th in OBP. But what's killing them is 17 runs in six games. We're going to move on and talk a little bit of NBA now. So I'm not going to do my usual Knicks game-by-game breakdown. I mean, if I did it for all the Knicks games I've missed covering on this podcast, there'd be a lot. I'll be honest, it's been a while since I've been watching the Knicks because I was so invested in March Madness. Uh, but hey, we're back to 500, and I'm happy with that. We had a big win last night versus the Raptors, despite nearly blowing it. So, happy with where we are, obviously. 
Uh, so to get my updated playoff picks, I'm going to start with the Western Conference. I'm saying the Jazz, the Suns, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Blazers, and the Lakers. I have all six of them getting in getting in that actual playoff spot. Well, I have the playing game being the Mavericks, the Warriors, the Pelicans, and the Grizzlies. And look, I mean, we know the top seven teams that I just listed are all going to go to the postseason. While eight through ten is a dogfight between New Orleans, the Grizzlies, the Spurs, and also the Golden State Warriors. And, you know, each team has their positives. They all have, they all have superstars with, yeah, with, if you still consider DeMar DeRozan a superstar, I guess. Uh, but So all four of those teams are going to be battling. Obviously, the Spurs and Grizzlies are going to have to play more games than the rest of these teams do them having COVID pauses. So that they might struggle due to the wear and tear on their guys' legs. Uh, the Warriors, they just lost James Wiseman and now are back to not having a center this year. Uh, the Pelicans, they're streaking at the right time. Although the team has not been great this year, they're playing great basketball, and they have Zion Williamson, who's been one of the best players in the NBA this season. Uh, so again, the Mavs are definitely going to be in. It all depends on the, ja- the Jazz, Suns, Clippers, Nuggets, I feel are all going to be probably in the top four. Well, it seems like the Blazers, the Lakers, who have been struggling without LeBron and AD, and the Mavericks will be fighting for 5, 6, and 7, which would mean the play-in tournament. The East, Sixers, Nets, Bucks, easily the top three. Uh, I think it'll be that order. Uh, Fourth or 11 is just a mess. Uh, Some of the teams are probably, most of those teams are in the top 10 because they're that far ahead of the Raptors. While the Raptors, really, their only chance of getting in is that 10 seed. Uh, So it's really more of a, it's going to be a battle between, I mean, you have the Heat, the Hawks, Knicks, Celtics, Pacers, and Hornets. They're going to be battling for the four through ten spots, or the four through nine spots. I think it's clear that Bulls and Raptors will be in ten. Uh, I have the Heat, the Hawks, and the Knicks all getting in those playoff spots, while the Celtics, the Pacers, the Hornets, and the Bulls are fighting for that play-in tournament. And I still have my same NBA Finals prediction in terms of the teams from the preseason, but I'm flip-flopping it. So I said preseason, Lakers over Nets, and now I'm switching the Nets over Lakers. And a big part of this is I saw the Lakers getting to the finals, despite me having them as a six seed. Or yeah, despite me having them as a six seed currently in the Western Conference playoffs, I just think for this, I just think the Nets are going to be too much offensively. For as good as the Lakers are defensively when they're at full strength, this Nets team, as Max Kellerman said, might be the greatest offensive team ever assembled. I just don't think if that team's at full strength, there's anybody who can beat them in a seven-game series. So my NBA Finals prediction is Nets-Lakers. And on that note, my good friend Jason Harris, a huge Nets fan, is going to be joining me right now. So Jason, obviously you're a Nets fan. We're going to start off. Are they winning the Finals? Oh, yeah. I I think the Nets. It it really just depends if they could all stay healthy. I think that they're – like, they're easily, I think, the best team, especially with, like, LeBron and AD out right now. They just need to all be together and, like, play together because they've only played, like, seven games together so far all season. Yeah, that's definitely the one thing with the Nets was the lack of guys playing together because usually you see a team, you saw with the Heat years mm-hmm. ago, even the Warriors their first year, when all those superstars come together, it takes a little bit of time to gel, mm-hmm. and they haven't had that time. But I just think you already saw Harden when he came in from game one, yeah. how he's went ready to switch his game. He's made a huge impact on the team. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And just, it's not even just the big three. When it was the Warriors or the Heat, it was 
literally just the big three. I mean, you guys have Cho Harris, who's arguably the best three-point shooter in the NBA, adding LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, who, even though they're past their primes, could still average, could still I, give rebounding and scoring off the bench. And LaMarcus Aldridge, a lot of people like sleep on this, but he's going to be important it's particularly for guarding Embiid. So when they face the Sixers in the playoffs, that's going to be really important. Absolutely. So, actually, so moving on from the finals, because I guess we're both in agreement the Nets are going to win it. Uh, Embiid's one of the finalists for MVP. So I'm gonna, I want to do my award predictions, and I want to hear yours. Yeah. Uh, I personally had Embiid before the injury. Mm-hmm. I think the injury definitely slowed him down, and that's one reason why I'm going with my guy, Nikola Jokic. Uh, one reason why I'm taking Embiid out. The Sixers performed really well when he was out, so it wasn't the earlier in the year. Whenever he missed a game or two, they'd struggle. But Jokic, he hasn't missed a game all year. He's averaging 26 points, nine nine re- nine assists, or close to nine assists, and 10 rebounds per game. And he's doing this on 56.7 shooting. I mean, for a big man to do that, it's just unprecedented. It's truly amazing what he's doing. And early in the year, it was LeBron versus Embiid. While Jokic was putting up great numbers, part of that was because the Lakers and the Sixers were both in first. Uh, now, I mean, the Sixers are still in first, but Embiid missed time. LeBron, the, the Lakers are struggling without LeBron. Embiid, yeah, not a Jokic has stayed healthy, and right now the Nuggets are streaking and looking for towards getting home court in the first round. Yeah, and for me, for MVP, I think it's I think it's James Harden, and the reason I think it's James Harden. It's just because, like, the impact he's had on, like, each team when he was there. Like, when he left the Rockets, the Rockets became terrible. Like, they couldn't win a game. And then he goes to the Nets, and they start playing amazing. Even look at the Nets in games he doesn't play in. When he doesn't play, the Nets are hovering around 500. They're just, like, a middle-of-the-pack team. They're around where the Knicks are right now without Arden. But then when you add Harden to them, they've only lost like so many games this season. They've been re- looked really good with Harden, and I think his impact alone on the team is why he should be MVP over Jokic or over an Embiid. That's, that's definitely fair, it's, especially he's going to step up and play a bigger role without Kevin Durant uh, being there for much of the season. I just think now with Harden, he's probably missed time with this injury. That could definitely hurt him in the race, mm-hmm. much like with Jokic, but absolutely Harden should be one of the finalists. He's... This I think we talked about this before, me and you just talking, but mm. it might not be a season where he's averaging 30-plus, yeah. but this is his best season because oh, yeah. he's been so efficient for them. He's not overly shooting the ball. He's not taking dumb shots. He's playing smart basketball. It's this. It's the most efficient basketball of his career. Maybe yeah. not the best stat-wise, but the most efficient of his career. Yeah. Like Even his stats aren't that bad. He's almost averaging a triple-double. I, I know. think it's 25 points, 11 assists, and like eight rebounds. So it's still like a crazy stat line. He's just not dropping 30 points like he usually does. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, so rookie of the year, I think that me and you were both would have both said LaMelo Ball if you asked us this a month ago. Oh, yeah. Obviously with him out, it opened the door for more people. And it's pot- and look, there's a, there a chance LaMelo could still hold on to it. Mm-hmm. But the way Anthony Edwards had elevated his game in the past oh, few yeah. weeks, in my opinion, I think it's going to be Anthony Edwards. He's now averaging nearly 18 points per game. Uh, when he was just at 15, maybe six or seven weeks ago. So he's really brought his game to a new level. It's a guy, I was a little critical of him, to be honest, but obviously he's been a lot better recently. So that he can shoot the ball a bit better, but for now, he's that, right now he's the rookie of the year. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty clear-cut the rookie of the year with LaMelo out. I would have loved to see how the race would have went with LaMelo there because they really would have been neck-and-neck fighting mm-hmm. each other for it. But um, 
Now that Lamelo's out, I feel like it's easy, easily just Anthony Edwards. He has a lot of potential. So now this award, I mean, you can give it to a ton of guys. Uh, Coach of the year. Now there is some bias in me, and obviously it could change depending on how we finish this season. But as of now, I'm putting my man Tom Thibodeau as coach of the year. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, despite they're only the fact that they're only 500, they're still fighting for home court in the first round of the Eastern Conference. The Knicks were supposed to be fighting for a top three, top three pick. They probably were pit by most. I think their ceiling was 13th in the Eastern Conference this year, and here they are, where they're not just you know they're. There was maybe some people out there who thought this team would get into the playing game. I was not one of them. Uh, but very few people thought that they'd be fighting for one of those top six spots and home court in the first round. Thibodeau has these guys playing inspired ball, and that's why he's my pick for Coach of the Year. Yeah, that, that's a solid pick for Coach of the Year. But my problem with Thibs winning it is just that, like, they're still, like, a middle of the pack. Like, they're only – I think, like you said, they're, like, 500 right now. And I just couldn't bring myself to give Coach of the Year to someone who's 500 or may finish even under 500. But, like, we'll see how the season goes out and we'll see how it ends. But for me, I'd give it to uh, Quinn Snyder because the Jazz have, like, a really good team. But at the beginning of the season, most people weren't picking the Jazz to be the number one team in the Western Conference. And then um, even, like, the Suns coach, you could even say him for Coach of the Year. Yeah. That's a really good pick because Suns came out of nowhere. Like at, adding Chris Paul helped a lot, but like overall, it really started last year in the bubble with them. So, yeah, Monty Williams. I believe it's Monty Williams is the coach there now. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and also, you can make a case. Uh, I don't know how they do with uh, interims, but Nate McMillan has an argument. Oh yeah. Look where the look where the Hawks were when he took over, and mm. now he's that he has the Hawks fighting for a playoff spot and. If he was the coach the whole year, the Hawks, the Hawks might be one of the top four teams in the East. And, hell, they still might get a top four team in the yeah, East I, because I the East I'm, is just a dogfight for fourth or 11. Yeah, I think, they'll, I think they'll end fourth, which is, like, really surprising. Because at the beginning of the season with how they were playing, I thought, no way. They, I was, didn't even think they'd make the playoffs with mm-hmm. how they were playing. But the way they've turned it around has just been absolutely amazing. This Hawks team that me and you got to see live just a few weeks ago. Yes, sir. Uh, I think so. You know, you say Quinn Snyder. Uh, to a jazz guy. Yeah. Then these next two awards, most people agree with. Jordan Clarkson, sixth man of the year. That's not really a debate. Yeah. And some people could argue, but it seems like anyone who th- could have challenged Rudy Gobert for defensive player of the year had gotten hurt. So my opinion, I think Rudy gets defensive yeah. player of the year. It's either it's either Rudy or Embiid. Like it, it I feel like it really depends with how the Sixers play when they come back now. Mm-hmm. Once uh, Embiid's here, so... Yeah, because he's and still working his way he, back into things. Yeah, because he, he could work his way up into Defensive Player of the Year and MVP, so we need to see how that turns out. Absolutely. And the last award, the most improved player. So I said this on the last episode. I have Jeremy Grant. Again, he's nearly doubled his points per game average. Part of that is he went from being mostly a 3 and D guy in Denver to the guy in uh, Detroit now. Obviously, a big reason he's getting replaced by... Michael Porter Jr., who took on sort of Jeremy Grant's role, although he's coming off the bench. Uh, but, yeah, I have Jeremy Grant because he's just been fantastic for the Pistons this season and the lone bright spot. Yeah, for me, I'm going with Michael Porter Jr. on the Nuggets. Just the way he's improved. I think he's, like, improved his points per game by, like, he, nine. He's or... nearly doubled it as well, just like yeah. Jeremy Grant. That was my – he was actually my preseason pick to win it all, uh, mm. Michael Porter Jr., and he definitely has a strong argument for it. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, the one reason why I don't pick Michael Porter Jr., and I, might, I wonder if voters might see it this way, 
was how he was so damn good in the bubble. Yeah. And because that bubble felt like it was it was like another season, that might hurt that might hurt him in the eyes of voters. But I definitely agree. Yeah. He, I, he should be one of those finalists. I think if, I think a lot of people would say it would have been Christian Wood had he not gotten hurt. Mm. And although he is back, I think Wood probably missed too much time to really win this award. And, and shout out Julius Randle has a mm. good chance. Yeah, Ju- Julius Randle does have a good chance. I know it really, like, this doesn't matter about Michael Porter Jr. winning the award, but I'm curious to see how the, he uh, plays in the playoffs. Because last season in the bubble, there were times where he was really a liability on defense. So I'm wondering to see now if this season in the playoffs where defense, like, really counts, are they still going to give him as many minutes as he's been getting? Because he's just been insane on offense. But he, we really need to see if he could take that jump on defense. Absolutely. And you see, that's that's one reason why they acquired Aaron Gorner, where yeah. it wasn't to put him over Michael Porter Jr., because Porter Jr. has been great offensively. But he obviously stood in for him defensively. Oh, yeah. And Aaron Gordon could really defend two through five. Like, he could defend everyone. Yeah. So that's really it, Jason, for talking awards. And, you know, I was talking about the Nets. Uh, also, congrats. You're the first in-studio guest, by the way. Oh, yeah. Almost everyone's yeah. been just over FaceTime. You're the first in-studio guest, so that's exciting. Yep. Uh, any, any other thoughts you want to give on what you think will happen the rest of this NBA season uh, with any teams, just bold predictions you have? Um, first off, go Nets. Next thing, um, no, actually, I don't think I have too many more bold predictions. Oh, actually, okay, one. I think the Hawks are going to win their... First round matchup, so that's that's my bold prediction for the NBA. Oh, I actually one thing. This is a take you've you've had. Why do you think the Celtics are the third best team in the East? Oh, I think adding Evan Fournier. What? Well, I think he still needs to like get used to playing with them because he hasn't been the best since he's gotten there. But I think that Evan Fournier, once he gets things going and figures it out, could really help him. Because adding a play, anyone who averaged twenty points a game is going to help your team so much. So I feel like once he figures it out, gets used to playing with the Celtics, I think they're going to be a hard team to beat in the playoffs. I just think that the Celtics need some, some more size. That's really it for me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's their main flaw. But Jason, thanks for coming on and being the first in-studio guest. Uh, obviously glad to have you in all the way here from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And we'll, as the NBA playoffs draw closer, you'll be back on. This oh, time, yeah. sadly, over FaceTime. <laughs> Thank but, uh, you. No problem. Uh, so that's it for NBA talk. It is now time for the first official bird's eye view mock draft. All right, it is mock draft season. This is just the little Jaybird mock draft. However, I intend on doing a fan mock draft where I have fans of the sports community make the pick for their own team. So. We're going to start off. Uh, Jaguars are going to take Trevor Lawrence. That's obvious. The Jets are going to take Zach Wilson. It's not as obvious as Lawrence, but that's where all I seem to indicate. Along with Mac Jones of the 49ers. Now, I personally would go with Justin Fields here. Uh, I still think, I don't know if I put him ahead of Wilson, Justin Fields. I think they're very close. But I'm just surprised that Mac Jones would go ahead of Justin Fields here because I think they're really, really sleeping on him. Uh, so I'm not one to try to predict trades much in a mock draft, but I am predicting a trade here. I have the Denver Broncos trading up the four to get Justin Fields to where the Falcons are picking, and oh man, I would hope for that to happen. Justin Fields with Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Melvin Gordon, Noah Fant. I think the Broncos could add a bit more on that offensive line to protect him, 
But I think he'd be going to a damn good system. And hopefully with that, he can repeat some of what Justin Herbert repeated. Because obviously, you guys know, I'm a big Fields guy. Anyone, who's, anyone who knows me knows that. I have the Bengals taking Jamar Chase. Uh, for a while, I was mocking Panay Sewell here. But they did draft a first-rounder on offensive line in 2019 in Jonah Williams, who people are very confident in. They just signed Riley Reef in the offseason. And, you know, I mean, the thought of Jamar Chase and Joey Burrow being together gets the college football fan of me all giddy inside. Now the next thing they need to do, fire Zach Taylor, hire Joe Brady. Uh, I have the Dolphins taking Kyle Pitts. I think that they'll try to form a dynamic duo with Pitts and Gusecki. I think with Tua's style, at least he shouldn't be more conservative. It's good to have a tight end. So Kyle Pitts will be one hell of a security blanket to have at tight end. At seven, I have the Lions taking Devonta Smith. No, they lost Marvin Jones. They lost Galladay. They could go quarterback here and potentially take Trey Lance. But I think with Jared Goff's contract structure, that doesn't really make much sense. So why not evaluate what you have in Goff and try to rebuild the team slowly from there because there's plenty of holes. Whoever comes in at QB is probably not going to be the answer until you add more weapons. The Panthers, so here's where this gets a little far-fetched, but that some of it could just be my uh, hopefulness. And the Panthers taking Patrick Sertain, which isn't total, totally far-fetched. Uh, they do need corner help. They did add a couple guys in the offseason, including former All-Pro A.J. Boye, who has not been the same since. But the Panthers... You know, they lost Bradbury two offseasons ago to the Giants. Secondary has not been the same in the past couple years. It's been one of the weaker parts of the defense. So I think there's a good chance they add Patrick Sertain, who I think has the potential to be one of the top corners in the NFL. Then I have the Cowboys drafting Caleb Farley. Uh, I, I am worried that I'm having him too high because I have seen him fall in certain mocks. But I just think Caleb Farley is such a special player. He had, I think... He fits really well in the Dallas, and Dallas tends to get those guys who fall. Farley could be that guy who falls, and although fall, he was probably projected around 10, I just see him as a player that Jerry Jones likes. And now we're up with the Giants pick. I have the Giants being able to somehow get Panay Sewell. Now look, that's my top choice. If the Giants did Panay Sewell, I would be doing cartwheels in my living room. I'd be like crying tears of joy. So maybe th this could just be me putting Panay Sua on the Giants in this mock draft, simply out of hope that he goes there. Could just be me saying, this is the route to how we get here. Uh, so I currently have us getting him. I just, outside of the Dolphins, Bengals, who appear to be going with receivers, I don't think anyone's really going to take an offensive lineman, possibly the Carolina Panthers, but I do think cornerback is a bigger need, especially since they franchise tag their, their tackle from this past season. Uh, before I continue this mock draft, a little bird alert, bird alert. Colin Galepsi announced he's coming back to Villanova next season. A big, big return for the Wildcats. Obviously, Galepsi was having a fantastic year for them before he tore his ACL. Now he gets to come back and try to finish what he didn't get to do senior year and lead Villanova to a national title. So, big move for, big, not big news for Villanova, that's the word, that Galepsi stays. And if Robinson Earl stays, which people are not sure about, They'd be love to have their dynamic duo back next season. But we're going to stick with the back draft. We have the Eagles taking Jalen Waddle. Again, I think they just need a wide receiver. Jalen Ragor was not really it. I know it was just a one season for Jalen Ragor, but he did not seem like he was the guy. Ertz was not very good last year. Goddard was not very good last year. 
the Eagles clearly need a wide receiver. And I think if, they, if Jalen Waddle's here, they'll be thrilled. And I want to go back to that Giants pick quickly. There's a lot of guys who I think that we can get. Uh, so I think Michael Parsons is a guy. But I had the Falcons taking him at nine because Falcons need an edge rusher and kind of a playmaker on defense. I think they trade back to try to get a guy like Micah Parsons. And I think Parsons would add a lot to the Giants. I want Sewell, Slater, Rashawn Slater, or Parsons really badly because those are the Giants' biggest positions of need. After that, if we can get one of Smith or Waddle, I would be thrilled also because just adds another weapon to Daniel Jones' arsenal, which is good for him. Hopefully he can do a lot with those weapons. And we take Waddle or Smith, and it just prevents the Eagles from taking them, much like how Dallas did that with taking CeeDee Lamb last year. Uh, but, I, you know, I mentioned Rashawn Slater's the guy, another guy I want. I have the Chargers taking him at 13. Another guy I've seen mocked to the Giants who I really don't want is Quiddy Pay. I have him going at 14 of the Vikings. I don't love his rush style. I, he's, he's not a speed rusher. He, he just, I don't know. I just don't love Quiddy Pay's film. I've never been too big of a fan of him. And although Mission has produced good defensive line talent, I, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of him. At 15, I have the Patriots taking Trey Lance. Now, there's a good chance the Patriots do trade up for Trey Lance. I uh, just, I really don't see any team ahead of them that can take him. So that's why I have him mocked them at 15 right now. I don't see where they would trade up to. And I think Lance, with learning a year from Cam Newton, would be very, very beneficial. They're two play a very similar style, and he could learn a lot from Cam sitting behind him for a year. Uh, Cardinals, I have him taking J.C. Horn, the South Carolina cornerback who has shot up draft boards. Obviously, Patrick Peterson, he's getting up there in ages, and age, not ages. Uh, he's consistently getting beat by Mac Phillips, as we all know. Mac Phillips owns Patrick Peterson. They need to get a so they need to get a new cornerback to at least play opposite of Pat Pete. And hey, Pat Pete was one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL for a damn long time. And I know there's a lot of things that he'd be able to teach J.C. Horn. This is a locker room that's very close. Lots of veterans to teach the young guys. The Raiders, I have him taking Owusu. I don't know how to say the second part of his last name, but just he's a playmaking linebacker, can cover the entire length of, can really cover the that second layer of the field, whether he's playing inside linebacker in a 4-3 package, or in a 3-4 package, or playing outside linebacker in a 4-3 package. There's a lot he can do, and he'd help that Raiders defense. Uh, the Dolphins, I have him taking the Miami kid, Gregory Rousseau. Adding a pass rusher to that defensive line. Christian Darisaw, Washington could take a quarterback here, uh, but I have them getting more offensive line help to protect their QB because that was one of their weak points last year was offensive line. The Colts, or excuse me, the Bears at 20. This is that they always need offensive line help. I have them taking Vera Tucker, tackle from USC. Very versatile player. You can kind of play him really all over the line, and hopefully it provides some protection for Andy Dalton. The Colts... They just lost Anthony Costanzo, been the left tackle there for the last 10 years. I have them drafting Jalen Mayfield uh, to replace him. 22, the Titans, uh, the cornerback from Northwestern, Greg Newsom. They kind of do need a cornerback pretty badly, especially, especially after losing a Dory Jackson. I think this is what they're going to go for. The Jets, uh, with their second pick from the Seahawks, I have them getting Aziz Ojulari. You know, really good pass rusher from Georgia. I think he is one of the highest upsides of all the pass rushers in this draft. I honestly would not mind if the Giants were to trade back and even get this guy. He's a really electrifying pass rusher. I think 
he could really add that missing element to the Jets' defense, which they've built a solid core. They've added a decent amount to the secondary. They have Quinn and Williams in the defensive line. Adding Alajari adds that pass rusher that this defense is really missing. Uh, sticking with pass rushers, I have Joseph Asai going to the Steelers. He kind of just seems like that a Steelers player. A pass rusher who stock fell during the year, falls to the Steelers, and they just mold him into a superstar. Jaguars, Trayvon Morig, they need a safety really badly. I've seen Morig mock to them in nearly every single mock draft. And I think that that trend is going to continue. So, Morig to the Jaguars. Browns, I haven't taken Zaven Collins, another athletic linebacker. Uh, their linebacking core is not the best. They have some strength on the defensive line, and they could they definitely could go pass rusher here. They might need a guy opposite Miles Garrett. But I don't love the guys they can get here, so I think they're going to go with Zaven Collins to add that layer to the second, to add some of that second layer on the defense. You know, they, they added play to the secondary, which is definitely their weakest link. They'll get a full year out of Denzel Ward, and Zaven Collins is just part of the Browns doing more and more to build that defense so it could become a championship defense. Then I have the Ravens taking Rashad Bateman. I just think they still need to get Lamar Jackson receiver help. Rashad Bateman was arguably the top receiver in this draft coming into the year. Excuse me, that was Jamar Chase, actually. Uh, but Rashad Bateman, he had a case for being the number two receiver behind Jamar Chase. And I have him as the fourth best receiver. He's an athletic freak from Minnesota. And I think it would be a great weapon for Lamar Jackson, especially because it's a guy who he can sort of lob them up to instead of just a quick a guy who can get quick and open. It's a guy who could make those tough grabs. Uh, Saints, I really don't know what the Saints are going to get here. Going towards the end is hard. I haven't taken Pat Freermuth, tight end from Penn State. Just seems like a Saints pick, to be honest. No real rationale behind that other than they might just want to add more weapons for Jason T Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston. Uh, Christian Barmore, I think the Packers take him. Uh, draft defensive lineman from Alabama. It's pretty simple as that. They almost always turn out great. Uh, the Packers, their biggest weakness last year on defense was run-stopping. And, yeah, run-stopping didn't kill them in the NFC title game. It was cornerback play. But they were one of the worst run defenses all year. I think adding Christian Barmore as a run-stuffer up front would be great for the Packers. Uh, the Bills, I have them taking Jason Owe, pass rusher from Penn State, just to add another pass rusher to that team. I have the Chiefs. Adding another offensive lineman, the versatile, the versatile interior lineman from Alabama, and Alex Leatherwood, just to add more depth on that line, and the Bucks adding more depth on their line as well, adding Jenkins from Oklahoma State. Uh, that's it for the first Jaybirds for the first Birds Eye View mock draft, and that's it for this episode. Thanks to everybody who supported the podcast and listened thus far. Remember, go follow Jaybirds Eye View on Twitter for all my latest live reactions to games. Go follow the Bird's Eye View podcast on Instagram for news on when every episode drops. Thank you, everybody, and have a great rest of your day.